And now they're faced with a situation to where they need to make decisions that are either going to save their lives, save someone else's life, and they're just freezing. I've seen it. Hey, you get an ambulance out here, and they take him, and he's no longer you know, with us or whoever. At least you did everything correctly. 118, Welcome back to Surviving the Street, where policing meets personal growth, tough conversations, and partially filtered stories of real events. How is that? It's pretty good. Yeah, no, that, that's not bad. <laughs> I just made that up last night uh, with a little bit of help from my wife, I'm trying to figure out a slogan. Uh, to say at the beginning and I feel like that's pretty good kind of hits everything um, So on this podcast episode nine, we're gonna talk about some case law, which I know is not Usually very exciting. No, it's pretty dry um, And more particularly Graham v. Connor, which is really important because I think that that's probably the one Case law that gets the most attention nowadays Yeah, I, I would agree um, Just about any use of force you know, it has to do with that. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, if somebody, you know, fruit of the poisonous tree doctrine and, and, and recovers some evidence that, you know, was obtained illegally and your case gets thrown out, doesn't really make the news usually. No, no. Well, the, you know, you'd be surprised how many cases get dismissed for, uh, you know, insufficient evidence or just minor things out in the street that people don't pay attention to. That's true. And yeah. maybe that'll come up later in this conversation, too. It's quite possible. Or another podcast on a different case law yeah so the importance of graham v connor is you know the standard that officers are judged on based on their use of force and determining whether or not it is justified and that standard is objective reasonableness it's important because it is the guiding principle that departments use to develop their policies around use of force and whether or not the force is uh not, not not necessarily necessary, but appropriate right. to what's happening. So back in the 1980s, right? The Wild West. None of us were around <laughs> during that time. Yeah. All right. So 40 years ago, uh, in the 80s, when 1980, um, if you go on YouTube and you type in policing in the 1980s, there's going to be several videos that come up. And I was watching them last night. Um, and you should go watch them. If you're listening to this podcast and after you're done or this episode, go go listen to them and watch them because it's actually a little bit comforting because all the problems that they were having in 1980, whatever that was, is the same problems we're having today. Oh, yeah. And I think that people, definitely us, you know, we're in the now, right? So we think that as officers, like all these issues are new and they're not right they've been not necessarily plaguing but they've been a problem you know since the beginning probably of law enforcement in general um we've all been privy to those conversations where you've been around an older officer I should say oh yeah and they like to you know give their input and talk about well back in my day you know this is what we did right and the times that they're, they're talking about usually is pre-body cameras mm -hmm. right and they tell their stories or whatever the case is, but there's very few of those people left now, right? I mean, if I look around, there might be, that I know of, maybe two or three that I'm like physically around. Well, you can, uh, you can find them. You're just uh, tucked away at a desk somewhere now, you know, hiding from the body cameras, Yeah, hiding well, from the street. Yeah, and just maybe, they, maybe they're wiser. 
They, they might be, yeah. yeah. Maybe we're the silly ones. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> laughing at us, look at all these young guys running around with these body cameras and, you know. Like you said, I, I think uh, I think a lot of the crime is the same. I think a lot of the, the key um, cases are all pretty much the same. It's just evolved with the times, right, you know just like we have as law enforcement new equipment better equipment you know they have you know some of the same equipment they got technology just like we do um you know social media is a big thing um you know cell phones obviously there were no cell phones back in the 80s um so as we grew they grew so i think we're dealing with the same same stuff just different times yeah and i think so pretty soon here in the next five to ten years there will be well when did body cameras actually for us even i mean it was not that long ago, it was like maybe 2015. Yeah, about eight years ago or whatever. Um, I think when I first got on, we didn't have them. They were just kind of rolling them out. Right. But I think we were behind, right? I'm not sure about that. Um, well, I know I know there's a lot of places, still a lot of departments, especially up north, that don't have uh, body cameras. Um, a lot of the unions fought on that. Then then I joined uh, in 18, and we've always had body cameras. So for me. I don't know anything about policing without a body camera. So all all the complaints that you hear, oh, they want body camera this, body camera that. I don't. I guess I understand it, but it doesn't make any difference to me. Like I police the exact same way, and I always have. I've maintained that same standard. Um, but yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure exactly when our department took it. I think that what I see just like watching body cameras and looking into cases of use of force incidents that are happening and being able to pick up on whether they're available or whether that person or team or department had a body camera on it seems like troopers are the, like the holdout mm -hmm. you know I think does doesn't DPS have body cameras now DPS does DPS has our old body cameras from what I've seen the oh. uh the, I think the watch guard um I think that's what they use yeah and then i think after because there's i think in particular i've been looking for georgia state police uh you oh, know man. good I, luck yeah i've been looking for their body cameras and i can't find any so i presume they don't have any and then after troopers it seems like the next holdout of of individuals is like swat teams or tactical teams right i've noticed that you know obviously in where we work we all everybody every person on the street every person taking enforcement action i believe has one right um, but it seems like throughout the country swat teams and tactical teams and especially narcotics teams are individuals that don't yet have body cameras and i feel like they almost learn the hard way right 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 i know a lot of the problems is the the storage and the, and the cost the store all those uh you know the cloud i, I guess you would call it um, so that's what a lot of these departments have trouble with is is funding all that um, So I can kind of understand why different divisions wouldn't have them. It's most important for patrol um, You know because those are the day-to-day -day Interactions you have and they can turn in any minute a lot of the investigators already know what they're going into and going to do um, I don't think we'll ever see a time with investigators having body cameras. Yeah, I don't I don't think they're necessarily no, you know, um, but some of the tactical teams I would say so, but I could also see why, you know, it might get in the way, you know, if you're going to, if you're a SWAT team or whatever, and you're going to go serve a warrant and you got to, you know, get a full kit, like where are you going to put that thing? It, it's definitely, um, something that you have to work around and, and, and inconvenience, but eventually get, you work it out. It's not a big deal. I think that's something that before you get it, you're thinking about, you're like, mm -hmm. oh man. And I remember that actually being the case, yeah. uh, before the team had the cameras, um, 
kind of gripes or whatever just not necessarily about having to wear cameras it's just about like where are we going to put this thing and then there's a real issue even kind of almost still with making sure it's charged and downloading and batteries which is kind of like an ongoing thing really i don't know that there's necessarily a way around that um but one case in particular and i remember this coming up when i was doing my research if you haven't seen my brianna taylor uh youtube video you can go look at that but they they talked about you know they didn't have body cameras and even the lead investigator supervisor in that case said that if they would have had them none of this none of that would have happened like the the not not happened in terms of like what happened physically but the aftermath yeah right because that would have been cleared up right away well i think uh you did the best like synopsis of the Brianna Taylor. Uh, I watched that video maybe a few hours after you posted it, and uh, just the way you broke it down and everything, it makes it makes for an everyday person to actually understand and follow what actually happened. Because you have one side of the, you know, um, one side telling people you know how bad it was and just bashing law enforcement just because you know people hate cops. And you have the other side that's defending anything the cops do. And with that whole situation, there was no middle ground. There was nobody that was like, okay, hold on a second. Let's let's really look at what's going on here. And I think you did that best. Because um, I didn't quite understand everything that had happened um, up until I, I watched your video. And it's very clear. And, uh, yeah, like shooting through a window when you can't see anybody. It's like, what are you doing? You know what I mean? Uh, definitely not acceptable. Yeah. And, and actually what's crazy about that, there's a lot of crazy, um, but, you know, I'm just trying to follow the facts. I don't care where they take us, you know, um, and I think that's just a missing component of everything that's being done is just that there's biases on both sides, mm -hmm. right? You got the people on the outside looking at something and they don't really know what they're talking about, <laughs> let's be honest, right? Um, they didn't do this. They didn't do that. Like, and nobody cares to look at. Well, I know, I know right away we don't have the information, right? But nobody cares to, you can find it all online. I did. I'm a normal person, right? So right. I, I found every transcript, every piece of evidence that was collected, where it was tagged, everything, right? So that's all I'm doing is just try to follow the evidence and tell the truth as I see it. And I think that more aligns with what actually happened in speci specifically in that incident and I just don't think that that whole incident in, in and of itself is really a story about um, you know it isn't it doesn't what actually happened doesn't fit the story of what actually took place in my opinion and why it kind of happened right and if you, you know, go look at that video if that's what you want to do but nevertheless um, I, I don't know why people there's like a conflicting, you know, idea about body cameras for whatever reason. Um, right. And I think, well, every proactive cop likes them. Let's be honest. Right. I mean, because, you know, you're watching your body camera after you did something, trying to analyze what you did right, what you did wrong, which in and of itself is extremely valuable. Didn't have that back then. You know, um, I was watching this video from the 80s on YouTube and the guy's running up with a sledgehammer hitting a door and they just, you know, none of them are wearing protective vests or anything and they're yeah. going in there. Everybody sit down and it's like the crazy thing about that, too, is that every person they're talking to them like they're they're a suspect, right? They did a drug buy or whatever. And every person they're having them like empty their pockets and give them the stuff. Get every take everything out of your pockets and give it to me. And they're like the suspect just digging around, you know. And so the body cameras and I know people don't care, like the people that are listening to this understand 
and people that don't understand and don't care aren't going to be listening to this probably, but there's probably never been a time in history where um, the, not necessarily the standard, but um, the accountability level has been higher, right. right? Just because of the mere fact that pretty much everything you do is being recorded. Oh, yeah. You know, and analyzed uh, by multiple different levels. Um, I know we, uh, our department releases all this um, for the um, significant events, you know, officer involved shootings, death in custody, and everything. And I don't know of any event where you know you're about to get into a, a shooting or a death in custody, or whatever. So, you know, you and I could be in the car, you know, just jaw jacking and, you know, whatever. But that's going to be released to the public. Um, or, you know, for internal affairs, I mean, we have audits, right? Uh, once a month, somebody may be watching your camera or just people just reviewing things like, hey, I heard you had a run in with this suspect and I'm investigating that suspect as well. Let me go watch your camera and see what you're doing. Exactly. Right? Or let me go watch your camera. Maybe not see what you're doing, but see what that suspect was doing. And then they capture you either doing something you're not supposed to or, or saying something you're not supposed to or, um, or or it could work in a benefit. You know what I mean? Um, I know I go back and I analyze every use of force video I have, um, whether it's something as simple as force handcuffing somebody, a vehicle pursuit, a foot chase, anything. I go back and I analyze that. I analyze my partners. Um, I will, I'll watch dash cams. Um, and not, you know, not to critique um, other people or anything, but just to make myself better, right? Let me, what can I have done better? Real quick, do you want to go over what the, the pit procedure is? Because I've talked about this before on the Instagram, but... um you know, I think there's definitely a time and a place. And actually there is a time and a place because your your policy probably says there is a time and a place. Right. And I, I, I think that actually like maybe other agencies or, or whatever, maybe don't have uh, a certain, a stringent policy or maybe I would assume they have one. Um, but somebody sent me a video and I, I believe it was Georgia state police again. Um, by the way, I don't, I don't, I don't not like you guys, you know? Um, and dude, this car is going hundred, definitely over a hundred miles an hour, probably on the freeway. And, you know, I'm from Northeast Ohio, so I'm going to explain it the way I, I uh, see the freeway in this video. Cause it's kind of like the freeways uh, up that way, but there's no, the only median is a, is grass, right? So it's, I think it was two lanes one way and two lanes the other way. And the only thing separating traffic is just grass, right? And maybe a little bit of a divot, you know, like ditch kind of, but not like a full-on ditch. And they're going, I don't know how fast, but it had to be 100, 110, you know, I don't know, fast, right? And, you know, he's trying to, I think he makes contact and tries to pit this truck. And this truck goes into the grass and is fly, still flying, like didn't take his foot off the gas. And he's like, I think he even goes up in oncoming traffic and comes back and I'm just watching this and I don't, I don't remember if it ended or how it ended. Um, I don't think it ended really necessarily badly, but I'm just like, man, the, the thought of pitting a vehicle at that speed and causing that vehicle to go into oncoming traffic and hit some family or some, you know, whoever, and definitely probably going to kill them. I just feel like you have to be a man and be like, it's not worth it. You know, and even and even go, I'm calling this. This is too dangerous. Um, A pit is a use of force, right? Um, A vehicle pursuit is a use of force. So is it reasonable uh, to pit a vehicle at 100 miles an hour? Right. So things you have to take into consideration is actually in that case law. This is kind of what the Supreme Court uh, ruled. Um, 
the totality of the situation, right? Like, what are we what are we chasing him for, right? Is this some sort of aggravated crime? Um, is he a violent felon? Uh, well, does it make him a violent felon now, doing double the speed limit? Um, you know, driving that fast, recklessly through traffic. You got to take in the, uh, into consideration all these factors, and pitting somebody at 100 miles an hour. Man, that's you better be able to articulate why you did that, right? While you put, you know, maybe that suspect's life at risk with all these innocent citizens just driving on the freeway, right? Like, why would you do that? Um, is it worth it? You know, in my opinion, uh, well, probably not. Um, I know our policy is, is 45 miles an hour. And if, you know, you, you're not supposed to go over that. Um, and you know, it's difficult to, no one, no one's pitting and looking at the speedometer as they're right next to the car going, uh, is it 45, 46, you know, but you know, when you're doing 45 miles an hour, you know, when you're doing 50, 60, uh, but you know that it, the difference between that and like 80 miles an hour and whatnot. Um, I think the pit is a definitely an effective tool. I think we should do it more, um, and do it faster. Like, you know, in my pursuit, I, I didn't give them time. Like, it was it was less than a minute for sure. Like I didn't give them the time to put everyone else at risk. Um, and but you also got to look at your surroundings as well. Like, are the people? Is there a bus stop right there? Are there people? You know, is there a park here? Like, what are we near? What are we doing? Um, can we can we stop this before it gets worse? Georgia State Patrol, man, their videos look great. I love watching them, but uh, that's about it, man. Those guys are wild. Yeah, I, I think that there is definitely. Um you can still be that person and, and have that mentality um, where like, you know, you're not going to let people get away and you're not going to allow criminal activity to happen in your presence. And if you, if you, you know, cross our paths and you're doing something you shouldn't be doing, then we're going to make sure that you're held accountable and do it in a professional way while also still making common sense decisions that are in the best interest of, you know, the, uh, citizens, the public, yourself, mm -hmm. both from a safety and a liability standpoint. Um, but also, you know, you're talking about, right, in a vehicle pursuit, pretty much always we don't know who's in the car, right? right. We know there's a driver. We got that part. He's the bad guy, right, because he's committing a felony, running from the police. And there's this thought I know that exists where officers have this mentality of, like, if something bad happens to the people in the car, that's his fault. Right. And, and sure there is some definitely, I mean, he definitely holds the, the weight of that accountability, right? but we've taken down robbery crews with kids in the vehicle. Right. Right. And absolutely there's been car chases where there's been kids in the vehicle. And it just so happens that a lot of the time the kids in these vehicles aren't in uh, the proper seating, you know, mm -hmm. conditions that they should be in car seats, or whatever and strapped in in which most times you don't know that's the case either because you know kids you can't see them from the, from the back you know you're looking through the rear uh window of a vehicle you can't see their heads popping up right so you you don't find out there's kids in this car until after it's stopped right until after they've either crashed you pit it they've given up and then you find out um oftentimes we're, we're not going to go chase a car if we know there's kids in the car um i know a lot of people would hear that and think oh wow like we're putting all these kids at risk like nine times out of 10, that's not the case. Unless it's a hostage deal or something where we need to stop that car or a drunk driver or something, you know, but 
a lot of times we won't we won't chase if there's a kid in the car yeah i was gonna say that i mean not not only will you not initiate the chase hopefully you shouldn't do that um uh, but also if a supervisor is aware that there is you should call it off immediately no i agree you gotta determine the level of force you use um Right. This we know this guy just either murdered somebody or potentially, uh, you know, aggravated assault or or something. Right. Uh, So what amount of force is reasonable to stop this guy from either doing it again or save this woman's life? I think that that's a in that particular situation, that's actually kind of a tough even like say the vehicle drives off. That's a that's a pretty tough decision to make. I don't know if I want to be making that decision. Right. Because she's in the back seat, But then the question becomes. Is my pit going to at this speed going to place her in more danger but you know you're exactly right making that decision like right then and there like are your actions going to cause her more harm or you know what, what do you do you know what i mean that's a hard decision to make and again that is a very this is kind of a very particular situation but in any type of decision making that you do and and whether it's you have time to plan for it and you do it or you have to do it in an instant you have to, well, we'll talk about, we'll talk about, you know, being able to articulate or whatever, but as an individual, you have, when you decide to make that decision, you have, you have to have already thought about accepting the outcome, right? right? That's my opinion. And when the outcome isn't necessarily favorable because of your actions, you have to be able to say, this is the information I had at the time. And I made this decision because of this. Right. And Sometimes it doesn't always work out the way that you intend it to, but um, I think that's important. And the more you know, experience you get and training that you have, the faster you can make those decisions and understand why you're doing that. No, I, I definitely agree. And I think the body cameras in those situations definitely help, especially in court, right? So we talk about the standard after um, you know, uh, Graham versus Connor. Is it objectively reasonable, right? What you did at you know, at that time, right? Not in hindsight, not, you know, at that time, would a reasonable officer have done, made the same decision or, or close to it, right? Um, now, when you, when you think about these cases, like that one in particular, um, it's hard to put ourselves in their shoes because we don't have, there's no video evidence of it. It's probably not even, you probably can't even find a picture to, to paint, you know, to see in your own mind, to put yourself in the officer's shoes to feel what it was like for them. But now we, we get all this video or you can just go back and be like, OK, well, what did the officer see? Right. Um, and it, it's a lot different, too, than some guy, you know, from across the street recording you or surveillance footage. Right. Because um, we've all seen surveillance footage of, of officers doing something and it might not look great. Right. But then when you watch their camera, maybe you see that gun, maybe you see that knife tucked away or maybe you see something different. And I think that's when the body cameras come into play. And I think they're they're very beneficial to to a patrol officer or any officer in a uniform. I talk about cases that I've critiqued or whatever. And one of the ones, the recent ones was the um, Camden County Sheriff who was behind that vehicle. And like, to me and you probably red flags, right? He's not stopping immediately. He's kind of swerving all over the road. He comes to an abrupt stop. And the first thing you do is get out and, and yell for the guy to get out of the car and, and then like approach him as he's getting out of the car, like right there face to face. That's not good. And, and so in your case, very similar in terms of just knowing, Hey, this isn't right. Something's going on and taking that extra second to, okay, Hey, yep. I kind of feel, I see his hands. Let me come up a little bit. Okay. Oh, that's not good. Okay. Hey, back up. Hey, step out of the car because in that moment that is still safer for you. If you can get him to step out and then realizing that basically this is a rescue now, 
right? right? Exactly. So, so you gave him a couple chances to step out in the zone. He wasn't doing that. And then you got up there and did what you needed to do, which is, you know, preferred. So if you're listening to that, you know, you should be able to identify these things, identify risk, assess risk. Um, that way you can mitigate potential threats that may be coming your direction. Um, so, you know, we talked about the 1980s and the, the need for legal standards and evalu- evaluating use of force and something that I didn't realize, which is, you know, again, we're talking about before our time, these these things happening in the context of law enforcement that are still happening today, basically, right? So the Rodney King incident, right? So I, I believe Graham v. Connor was... Um, 1989, is right. that right? Um, I think the incident happened in 85 or maybe 83, and then it, the, the decision was 89. Okay, so really kind of crazy to me is that the, the decision for objective reasonableness was in 89. Rodney King happened in, I believe, 91 or right. 90, I believe. Yep, and, right after. And, you know, those officers on the state side were acquitted, Mm-hmm. And then two of them were charged federally, and they, they they two of them served like thirty months or something. Yeah, it was yeah, not very harsh at all. So, you know, there is definitely a reason to be upset. Yeah, I would agree. Um, because you would think that that came first, and right. then now we're here, and now we've made the adjustment. But yeah, man. That was one of those deals. Well, think about how many times that's happened, right? How many times those officers uh, in L.A. had had done what they did to Rodney King, uh, you know, because due to the 80s or 90s, you know, there's no camera, body cameras. There's really no surveillance footage anywhere. There's no guy with a camera. Um, Which there was in that case. Yeah, just so happened to be. Um, um, But think about how many times that they'd done that after. I mean, we're talking about the 80s and 90s. No one really cared what the case law said after that because it never went that far. It was always the officer's word against what the, uh, the suspect said. Um, and that didn't really change really probably until 10 years ago, maybe. Um, and I, I don't know if that's for the better or worse, but that's what it is, you know. Well, I think just it's hard to deny. And I, we understand that with uh, body cameras, they don't see everything. They don't even really see what the officer sees necessarily. No, no. Right. It's a it's a it's a a one view of a certain direction at a certain radius and doesn't take into consideration peripheral, you know, vision or even maybe noises that happen or necessarily officers actions and suspects actions, especially when you start getting up close, you can't see anything. It's just scuffle. Um, Graham V. Connor being objective reasonableness and being the standard that officers are judged on, on whether or not their use of force was justifiable in the end, which I'd like to just kind of like talk about the fact that I hate getting into conversations with people about an incident that occurred and then talking about the justification for it, you know, or, or like, because man, there's just, you just don't, I mean, there's obvious situations where you're like, yeah, that doesn't look right, you know, but a lot of these cases, like they have, they're not, it's not necessarily black and white, like right or wrong. You have to go through this whole legal process, go to court, have a trial maybe. And they're going to determine whether or not that ends up not being the standard, but fitting the criteria. Everybody looked at a video and listened to what the TV told them and came up with an opinion based on that. Um, that's, that's literally what happened. We watched the entire country argue about that whole case and then it went to trial. And whether or not you agree with the decision, that's your own opinion. But we, we're seeing that a lot lately. Um, so you see that often as well. Yeah, but I'd also like to add that cops do the same thing. You know, 
what do they call it? Um, confirmation biased or, or whatever. They seek out the information that confirms their own belief system. And um, definitely cops do it. Everybody does it, really. And that's why we talk. I already t- kind of talked about the Breonna Taylor thing, and that's w- what I'm trying to do, kind of like just be objective uh, about what happened. Um, and, you know, somebody who messaged me on Instagram about the Brianna Taylor thing when I started talking about it and literally just stating what happened based on the information I'm finding, you know, he was not being very nice, right? First of all, um, obviously an officer, I would mm-hmm. assume, because otherwise nobody else would really care. Um, and then when I posted about how the officer said he fired 17, 16 times, I believe, and he had no recollection that he was even firing, that he ever fired his gun. And I quoted what he said. And, you know, that same guy messaged me and said something, again, not very nice, like, who the who the F or where'd you get this information or whatever. And it's like instant, like, instant, like, disappear, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, because, dude, you're coming at me all wrong, dude, you know. Yeah. And all you have to do if you really want to know is Google it and find out instead of being so emotional about your point of view. And, you know, and the the fact of the matter is, and the point that I bring that up is that confirmation bias, right? They cop whoever heard the story about what happened and officers told the story and public told the story and everybody's making things, uh, you know, fit their own narrative. But when you actually look at the information, it tells the actual story, right? I mean, how many times, how many officers do we know personally, you know, that that'll tell you a story, right, about how they got maybe screwed over or, you know, this isn't right or that's not right or they play a victim, but they paint a picture to make them sound like a victim. But in reality, I mean, none of us have the records of, you know, whether it's internal affairs or that, that uh, you know, people blame the DAs or they'll blame this or that. And everyone's quick to point fingers. I was like, okay, well, what did you actually do, though? Um, and a lot of these, a lot of these situations, I find that, you know, they're telling some of the truth and I wouldn't even say they're lying. Um, but maybe they're just leaving some details out. Right. Yeah. Come from, you know, trying to, you know, I mean, and also too, even what in those instances, what you or me can find out is limited anyways. Right. Like we can, maybe there's a news story or something, or maybe somebody that was actually there that isn't so biased about what happened says, eh, no, not really what happened. This mm-hmm. is kind of what happened. And then you're like, Oh, okay. That kind of makes sense why he got what he got, Yeah, you know? And, you know, again, one of those things that I'm kind of going after is like everybody trying to be a hero in their own story. Right. Right. And, and, and just take accountability, you know, like if you're wrong, you're wrong, you know, and if you're right, you're right. And we've talked about this in the past, another podcast, but if what you're doing in, uh, is happening within good faith, right. And you're trying to make the best decision, usually you're going to be okay. Right. And, right. and, you know, you have to know your, we'll talk about this cause I'm sure you're going to get into this. I'm, I'm going to go over some questions in the end of some followers. And I think uh, I saved some of them because I think you'll be a good, uh, to answer some of those questions, but you have to know what you're doing. Okay. And that Graham v. V. Connor, Graham v. Connor, Graham v. Connor, going over objective reasonableness and using force, you got to know what you're doing, right? And your department policy is your guide to understanding what you can and can't do and when you can and can't do it. And maybe even sometimes you fit, you know, the Graham v. Connor reasonableness, but it doesn't necessarily fit your policy, right? 
in which case you're not going to go to jail or get in trouble, but you might get days off and you might lose your job. Yeah. Um, I always say this is, this is one big game and the department and, uh, you know, the Supreme court, they've already, they have a rule book and you have to follow that rule book. Um, you know, uh, when I was in the army, we used to, uh, you know, you have, what do they call them in the arm? The regulations, right? We, we have general orders, they have regulations. And uh, man, I always remember like the uniform regulation was a big one. And people would always, you know, it's like a barracks talk. Hey, can we wear a uniform like this? Can we wear a uniform like that? It's like, there's a whole policy on it. Just read it. Like, what are you asking me for? Right? Like, you mean tell me like you haven't read it? Like you're over here wearing this uniform, you're doing all these things and like you haven't even read it. And it applies here as well. Like, man, think about how many people and my phone blows up all day long. Um, and I get on complex scenes and complex things and stuff. You know, it's, I, I, I always help people, but it's like, there's some things that are so basic. Like, Hey, can I, can I tow this car? Like, dude, like it's in the policy. Like you didn't read it. Like that's what you do all day long is you're on patrol. Like, dude, it's blocking the moving lane, dude. Right. Yeah. It's like, what are you asking me for? You know? Um, and you know, well, I get it on like complex scenes and stuff's like, Hey man, I need a second opinion or come over here. What do you think about this? Or, or help further and articulate things. Use of force is always, I'll help people out and, and be like, okay, well, this is the way, you know, you, you got to articulate this and this and, you know, um, but stuff that's so simple, it's like, dude, just, just go read it. It's all right there, right? It's easily accessible. You can print it out, take it home with you, study it, you know? I'm not saying I haven't called you. Or <laughs> um, I've been out of the game for a while, so. You know, when you're not paying attention or doing actually doing it, you kind of lose your touch. Yeah, most definitely. But I, I don't think you've ever called me with a dumb question. You know what I mean? It's always been something that, like, we've had a long discussion about or some sort of discussion uh, where we bounce things off each other. Like, okay, well, what about this? Or, or, or well, where were you? Okay, that makes sense. Or, you yeah, know. my questions are never yes or no. Yeah. Like, yes, you can, <laughs> and no, you can't. It's right. always like, well, what's the context of what's happening? Yeah. yeah it's like, hey, uh, you know. Like one of the things, like I'm a uniform guy, and uh, one of the things that bothers me the most is when I see officers wearing, like, improper uniforms, um, like, blatantly improper. Like, I don't really care if your pants are five eleven pants or blower pants. Who cares about that? But like, when you start adding stuff to your uniform, like people putting on those big, massive, thin blue line flags and like sticking them on places where they don't belong, it's like, okay, that doesn't look professional. Right. Like, and if you can't get the littlest things right, like you're not going to get the bigger things right. Like these small details, like these small things, they all, they all matter. Um, and that's why I've always been big. When I was in the military, I was big on uniforms. Um, I mean, I still shine my boots, my boots right now, a little scuffed up because of the foot chases, but, um, but I still believe in having shine boots. Like, you know, you look presentable. Yeah. Um, I know one of the things that's come up recently, actually it comes up every year at some point in time is wearing an approved hat. If you're going to wear a hat, right? it's like, what are we doing? Yeah. Can't wear that. Yeah. Um, dude, and it, this goes sideways every, every year, um, because baseball season and the playoffs, uh, our department will allow you to wear that team's hat, right? If they make the playoffs and the duration of the playoffs. Um, but as soon as the playoffs are over, you have to go back to wearing um, a department hat, right? Which would have the department's logo on it. Um, but man, this it always goes sideways this time of year because now you know we're middle of November. There's no baseball, uh, and people are wearing you know they'll just start wearing ridiculous hats, man, it's, or backwards hats. That man, that 
that's like a biggest pet peeve, like backwards hat guy, right? Like, just come on, what are you doing? Right. <laughs> I talked about your uniform. I think it was episode eight. And what I said about the uniform and looking professional and having that, when you have that interaction with that person um, who these people on the street, they're, they're, they're paying attention. Mm -hmm. They know exactly what they're looking at. And if you come at somebody sideways, just based on your appearance, they're probably going to try and take advantage of you. Oh yeah. Um, and your appearance and what you wear and the things that you wear is the easiest thing you can do that takes really no physical effort on your part. Right. Yeah. And you're supposed to be doing it anyways. Yeah. I mean, maintaining a, uh, a clean, proper uniform doesn't take really any effort. It takes like a few minutes a day, right? Just taking a brush to your boots at the beginning or, or, or end of your day takes literally 10 seconds. Um, making sure your, your uniform doesn't have crazy stains all over it or, you know, your pants aren't ripped or just the simplest things like, you know, uh, your pens where it's supposed to be, your body cameras in the same place, you know, just small things. I would say like based on somebody's appearance, if you look at an individual and their appearance isn't not adequate, everything else is usually not good. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Doesn't necessarily mean if you look good though, that everything else after that does any good either. But it's that's a good a, place to start. It's a good place to start. And it's definitely that first impression, that initial appearance. So you talked about, you know, people kind of contacting you and asking you, Hey, how do I do this? And these things being stuff that you should know that are like pretty obvious and easily understood and, and is written or whatever. And I just want to make a point that if that's you, right. And if you're, you're, you, you're having questions to these should be easily identifiable answers in your mind. Now that's simple stuff that you should be getting right. That you should already know and understand. Graham V. Connor is, is, you know, it's pretty simple to me, you know, mm -hmm. pretty much, but you're not going to call anybody if you have that kind of situation happening. Right. Like, and if you, if you can't figure out the little things, the obvious things, and then you get a situation where it, it comes down to using force and you're like, Oh, should I, can I, or whatever, right. probably in a bad spot. Well, I'm sure you've seen just as I've seen where you have officers that hesitate, right? Cause they don't, they don't know how much force they can use. Um, you have a whole generation of police officers now that listen to an older generation that tells you you can't police anymore because you're wearing a body camera. You know, the, the whole goes to the back in the day thing, right? Oh, back in the 80s or back in the 90s or the 2000s. Well, those officers now who are mostly, you know, off the streets or on the desk or, or just completely lazy now are telling the younger officers, hey, you can't use any force at all because, you know, the department's going to hammer you. The DA's office is going to charge you. Uh, you'll end up on the media and they, they scare these officers when they're just a few months on the street and they confuse them so much to where they don't know what they can do. And now they're faced with a situation to where they need to make decisions that are either going to save their lives, save someone else's life, the safety of others themselves. And they're just freezing. I've seen it. I mean, I've seen officers just stand there, have no idea what to do next. And it's, you know, how do you, how do you coach that? How do you teach that? You know? Yeah. And again, it goes back to the accountability thing. And, you know, what I believe is that like every individual officer should be, should kind of strive to be the most capable individual officer, whatever, on the street, on the shift or whatever. And that should be almost like, you know, an internal competition thing with yourself. Right. And really it kind of starts with the, what we're going to talk about, um, the rule book and the law and knowing all that stuff. And when you can, you can't, um, because if you 
can't start there and don't understand, you're getting yourself involved in something you're unsure about. Everything else after is going to be, you know, more difficult decision on your part. Um, so obviously there was a need for use of force, um, regulations or, or law or whatever. Um, and you know, there's state laws that each individual state kind of has different laws around most things, right? Um, what you can and can't arrest for, when you can and can't do certain things, what certain processes are, and those don't necessarily, you know, Texas is, Texas, Texas is, is that right? Texas law, yeah. that's probably right, Texas law is, um, you know, particular to Texas and may not necessarily apply in other states. Well, right. definitely doesn't apply. I mean, you shouldn't go outside, right. you know. Right. Um, but the significance of case law is that it's the standard for the whole entire United States. Right. Um, most you know, most states all abide by the same rules. I think there's a few states, like New Jersey does things differently than a lot of states. Like, they're probably the most oddball. Uh, California's getting that way as well. Uh, but mostly, the you know, the rules apply, you know, for everybody. Um, but what I've noticed with the use of force is that if you look up use of force, or not use of force, if you look up um, the criteria for being able to use deadly force in different states, it's it's usually read differently, or at least in the ones that I've I've mm -hmm. read. And so Texas is when you're going to use lethal force, you know, to prevent serious serious bodily injury or death. Mm -hmm. Very simple, short, sweet, and concise. Right. And obviously, you start getting into Graham v. Connor. It's like, well, was he going to commit serious bodily injury or death? But and was this necessary? Right. Well, before, uh, so before then, there were, there really was no standard, right? It was the the courts would look at it was was there malicious intent? Graham versus Connor happened, and still those lower courts decided, hey, there's no like malicious intent here. Like we're gonna throw this lawsuit out, um, and it goes up to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court turns around and goes, well, wait a second, and they ruled that the lower courts have to look was it object was it objective objective reasonableness, right? Like. Um, you know, what a reasonable officer, uh, do the same thing or, or close to it. Um, and you know, even in that case, I mean, I'm going to say like they broke that guy's foot, they put him in the hospital, like they beat that dude pretty bad. Uh, and it turns out like he didn't do anything at all and they just released him. Right. So one of the things, uh, that, that we'll do, especially uh, like me, if like I have to use any amount of force to detain somebody. Uh, because they're resisting, they're going to jail, right? Um, like if I have a reasonable suspicion to detain you to begin my investigation and you resist that uh, or you interfere with my investigation and I have to use physical force to detain you, anything more than, than a, a handcuff, um, you're going to jail for either interfering, resisting, or, um, or, or whatever the details of that investigation are. Uh, in their situation, they were just like, oh, oh he didn't rob the store. Oh, um, cool. Sorry, dude. But Rodney King, obviously those officers, they didn't care what the Supreme Court said two years ago. And to be honest, they probably didn't even know. Uh, the Supreme Court, I mean, they make rulings all the time. Like We have legal update every year, right? Um, yeah, yeah, that is true. Um, and they but, definitely probably sent an email. <laughs> <laughs> um, Let's get that up for the record. Yeah. Um, but, you know, in their case, you know, they definitely... They probably didn't care. Yeah. They're and, just playing by their own rules. And and then again, you know, in the context of using force, which is the only thing the public cares about, right? And we you know, if you 
you know, illegally obtain some evidence and uh, the case gets thrown out. And I mean, the department cares. You might, you know, there might be repercussions for you as an officer if you like didn't do it out of good faith, right? Yeah. Definitely some maybe illegal and probably maybe even some, you know, department department, you know, punishment or whatever. Um, but it's not making the news. Right. Unless it's like some trial that's going on, which those do. And mm-hmm. a lot of times in those trials, a lot of stuff gets thrown out, you know, and then somebody gets acquitted and people are like, I am what, you know, how is this possible? Yeah. And then if you actually go and look at it, which those are a lot harder to look at because there's so much information, mm-hmm. um, you find that, well, they couldn't even talk about this information in the trial because it turned out that the officer just went in the car, grabbed the stuff. Right, right, right. A lot of people don't understand that. Um, and, and that's another reason why on scenes, um, once a scene is safe, dude, if there's no rush to start, you know, searching through people's stuff and um, start tearing apart the scene, like, well, let's all take a step back, right? And let's let's break this down legally, slowly, right? To make sure you don't miss anything. Um you know, getting warrants and stuff like that. Like, dude, I've seen so many people that just, uh, like, they'll just start searching cars and they don't, they don't really know why, or they'll start searching people's property and they don't really know why. Or you do like a protective sweep, and then like you turn around and like, you know, you're walking out of the house and there's someone over there staring at something. You're like, hey, uh, like we gotta go, right? Like, you can't just go through people's stuff. And I and I will say, if you're listening to this, at least on our department, you will a thousand percent get. Uh, you know, there will be probably repercussions for you doing that stuff. Um, and I know it happens. Oh, yeah. No, it definitely does. And and cops do things that, and what I was told, I asked somebody that's in the know about these kinds of things and just said, what is it exactly, not, not, even, not in particular situations, what are cops doing that are getting them in trouble? But like, you know, and he said, basically, he's like, they're just, they just don't know what they're doing. Right. He said, they're just, they're doing things that they shouldn't be doing. Um, you know, in the context of the things that you talked about, like, just, I'm just going to go in the car and grab this. And then, you know, they're obviously it becomes a big deal for whatever reason. And then they find out, dude, what are you doing? So one of the biggest things that I've seen lately, and uh, I've had a lot of supervisors and, and older officers, uh, questioning me on this since like reading people, their Miranda rights, like, you know, that was, that was a no, no, like back in the day. Um, and I don't quite understand why. Um, I know on bigger cases, if I'm working on a homicide, a robbery, where it's going to be something more complex and someone other than myself is going to be investigating it, then I won't Mirandize somebody else's suspect. But if it's a case that I'm working from start to finish and I have someone detained to where they reasonably feel like they're under arrest, handcuffs in the back seat, something like that. Yeah. I'm going to read them the Miranda rights before I ask them anything. The only things you can really ask them is, is, um, identifying information. But as soon as you start getting into, you know, all this other stuff, um, everything they say is going to be thrown out. And people don't understand that. And that's why their cases are getting dismissed. And, you know, like, well, he, he admitted to everything and the DAs just dropped it. It's like, well, no, like everything he admitted to doesn't count anymore. Um, one of my biggest pet peeves is you get into a foot chase with somebody. And uh, I see this almost on every single foot chase, not just in our department, but like you watch videos and stuff. As soon as they catch them, they go, why'd you run? Right? And then they give you a bullshit answer. If they go on this whole thing, oh, I was scared, man. I didn't know, blah, 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 blah. Well, guess what? All that doesn't count anymore because you didn't Mirandize him. That guy knows he's under arrest, right? You just chased him. Um, And you just used force to detain him. Um, Anybody would think, hey, that guy's going to jail, right? 
So everything he says, tossed. I want. I do want to say though, like one kind of. I wouldn't even say an exception, but one time you might want to think about probably asking a question, uh, or maybe it's, it's good to just Mirandize them first, anyways, right? But if there's some public safety issue going on that you need to know right then. Yeah. Um, so yeah. if you, you you know he had a gun and you're running through a park, um, you know, okay, okay, cool, Mirandize him if you right but like hey where's where's the gun dude like i saw right, you have right. it where is it and in that case whatever right because you're prioritizing the pu- safety of the public and children and kids or whatever over this ca- foot chase case which is a class a misdemeanor or whatever it is right right, right. so that's something that you might want to consider so do you want to talk about the events of graham v connor um yeah so uh it, it's an individual that that's he's a diabetic right and uh he and his friend go to a convenience store because he's having an episode and they're going to get some orange juice. Um, well, he gets out of the car and he runs inside, realizes the line's too long, runs outside, gets back in the car, and they speed off to the next place. Well, it just so happens to be a police officer sitting outside and watches this whole thing. And obviously he, he gains a reasonable suspicion that maybe he just robbed this place, right? Um, which is reasonable. I mean, who runs into a store runs out. Conduct a traffic stop and... Um, while he's got the two, you know, while he's got the, the traffic stop going on, he's trying to run this information and and check out to see if that store was actually robbed. Um, this guy in his diabetic episode starts, uh, he gets out of the car, starts acting like crazy, right? Almost like a drunk guy. Cause it's common. That's how they act. They, if you don't know they're diabetic, you would think they're drunk. Um, well, he and his backup end up like beating this dude as because they claim he's resisting and whatnot and it may have appeared that way at first um but they they beat him pretty bad uh put him in the hospital they refused to give him any orange juice i think one of his friend or somebody had brought orange juice and they just refused to treat him um and once they find out that hey he didn't rob the store they're just like all right you're free to go sorry and they release him so later he sues the city and makes a claim of um excessive force under the fourth amendment pretty much saying that he, he has a right to be free in his person, right? Um, to not have excessive force. Um, because anytime you arrest somebody, that is, you're, you're seizing, or even detaining, you're seizing that body, you're seizing you. Um, and the smaller courts didn't hear it, and the Supreme Court did. So I think before I forget, let's cover this, because this is important. And I'm, I know it's happened since then. And this is just about one being professional and two protecting yourself because if somebody's having a medical issue that you don't address, that's going to be on you. Oh yeah, right. I'm and and so anytime any person is is you know in your custody or not or whatever, but we're talking about in your custody, and especially if you use force, but even if you didn't, and they are, they look like they're you know laboring or they could possibly be injured or they're requesting an ambulance or they're telling you they have some medical problem. You need to get that checked right now. Right. I think it's, I think it's good practice. Uh, anytime you have a use of force, um, anything more than maybe a force handcuffing. And this is what I do. I stay consistent with it. Um, if it's anything more than me having to force their arms together to put them in handcuffs, uh, I, I call for, uh, you know, the fire department to come check them out. Uh, whether they have complaints of injury or not, visible injury or not, you can get checked out. You can tell them you don't want to be treated rather than tell me. So I've, I've now passed that on to somebody else because uh, I'm not a medical expert. 
Um, I don't want to have that liability on me. Um, and at the end of the day, if you are injured or hurt, like I'd rather you get checked out and, and be good to go. Um, so I always, I'm consistent with it. If it's anything more than a force handcuff, I, I'll call. And that doesn't stop either after you get them in custody and they're in the back of your car, because you should be paying attention to them right. on your way to the jail. Um, and that happens. You hear it sometimes on the radio. Hey, I'm going to pull over and check on my prisoner right. because they look like maybe they're just sleeping or whatever. But um, that's what you have to do because you can't drive 30 minutes to the jail and they've been passed out in need of right. medical attention. You not ignored it, but didn't even recognize right. it. Right. Or, or maybe they were acting full on scene and now all of a sudden they're not. Right. Uh, maybe they were high. Maybe they were now they're coming down. And you, know, you never know. Um, the last question I always ask suspects before I took them to jail, um, I say, is there any reason you need to go to the hospital? And uh, even if HFD checks them out or not, just to make sure. Um, because they're going to ask them again at the jail anyway. You go to book them in. They're going to ask them about medical questions. And we all know the jail doesn't, they don't, they don't want to see anything medical. So they'll just reject them, send them to the hospital anyway. But, um, yeah, some people... You know, not, I don't really see this in our department, but um, they take this stuff personal. You know, use of forces and stuff, and, you know, they get all mad at the suspects. And, you know, you know, you, I mean, we've seen plenty of videos on, on, online mouthing off to them and this and that. Dude, who cares, right? Like, all right, if you had to use force on somebody, great. Take a minute. Give him a minute. Get him checked out, right? Yeah, so it's, it comes down to controlling your emotions, which right. is something that you hear me talk about a lot. Um, and that, I mean, you have to do that all the time, right? You, you As soon as you start getting worked up and overexcited, things start to fall apart, right? So if you're in some interaction with somebody and you're letting emotion drive your decision-making, there's just a higher likelihood you might, one, do something you haven't trained, you don't know how to do, and then like liability starts to come into play. Right. Um, and so, you know, definitely you just should be doing it all the time. And actually I have an idea for a podcast, which I'm going to talk about, um, you know, being a police officer, um, policing and home life and how those two things work together. Mm-hmm. Um, because one of the, probably the drawbacks of cops, right. Probably a reason why cops, you know, can't keep relationships. Well, there's a lot of self-inflicted stuff. First of all, okay, so let's just identify that you're probably being not the person you should be being. However, uh, doing things you shouldn't be doing, and that's probably why your relationship is trash. Uh, But what what I'm getting at is that as police officers, you learn and should learn. And if you don't learn this, you're going to get caught short a thousand percent. Like you can't be emotionally invested in pretty much anything right at your job. Do you think emergency room uh, surgeons are emotionally invested in the people that come into the emergency room. I mean, how many people come in there, stabbed, shot, hurt, you know, old, young, you know, whatever the case is, you know, and it's like, dude, they can't Mm -hmm. because you would never make it. Right. Right. And so it's the same thing in policing. And that's, you know, we'll talk about again, another podcast, but one of the problems I probably with officers at home is that they, they teach themselves and they learn to not be emotionally invested out there. And so when you come home, you know, your wife's telling you a story about something that you're not concerned with or something you don't think is a big deal, but it's a big deal to her. And you're like, I just like saw two dead people today, yeah. <laughs> like in the back of your mind. Yep. 
Um, but, you know, talking about in the context of use of force, um, you know, your adrenaline's going. And so you got to learn how to control that through training and all this stuff. Um, but if you let emotion to drive your decision making, you know, there's just a higher likelihood you're going to make mistakes. And in podcast eight, which is the one I just posted, you know, the, the Camden County Sheriff, you know, deputy, you know, first of all, like, you know, you, you can tell some stories about some traffic stops that you've been in and decisions that you've made, like on the freeway, even in particular. Right. Right. And so, and one of the kind of funny points I make in that, that podcast is that different cops in different parts of the state or different, I've worked in or kind of like a part-time deal in the department or in the city in which I grew up in, which is a small town. And like maybe a 911 call comes in, maybe not. So there's really nothing going on. Right. And so for those cops, you, there's a higher likelihood that when something serious does happen, you're going to be super elevated. Oh yeah. Cause you're not experiencing that stuff. Um, you know, on the daily. Um, but in that case, the Canham County Sheriff's office in particular, it's like, it's speeding. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. He's not really stopping. I actually think he was evading in my opinion. Um, so we got, in my opinion, I'm thinking felony stop, right? And, and, and automatically when your mind goes felony stop, it should bring you down. Right. Because what's happening during a felony stop, you're creating distance between yourself and the bad right. guy. Right. And it's allowing you to make better decisions, right? You're trying to, you're trying to remove emotion from the, the situation. And, you know, he gets fired up, get out of the car, get out of the car, walks up there, and the door comes open when he's like almost there and it's just not good. It's not where you want to be. So you got to control your emotions. It'll keep you out of trouble, um, and it'll increase your ability to perform, right? Um, even when we're talking about marksmanship, which is something I talk about a lot. Um, but you you also talked about when you have these people in custody that were acting a certain way and now they're not, mm-hmm. right? Which is maybe something that isn't medically noticeable from terms of like, oh, they're slumped over, they're not responding, right? But you were acting all kinds of weird, and now you're not that's a change in behavior that you have to be able to recognize, right? Because that could mean that something else underlying is going on, these medical emergencies or whatnot. And you don't want to let that happen to you. I mean, it's happened. It happens. Um, but you got to cover yourself. Right. Right. And in, in the instance where you do all that, you get a, you get the fire department to come out and they look at them and they're like, their vitals are fine. And you're like, okay. And then you're driving to the jail and you're like, Hey, he's passed out. Hey, wake up. Hey, you get an ambulance out here and they take him and he's no longer, you know, with us or whoever, at least you did everything correctly. Right. Right. Yeah. You don't, yeah. I mean, it's impossible to monitor them 24 seven, right? Like constantly while they're in your backs, you still have a scene to work. You still have witnesses to talk to complainants to talk to. Um, you have stuff to do, but you're supposed to keep checking on them, you know, uh, or designate someone in your scene. Hey, this is your guy now. Um, that's one of the things I do on special major use of forces whether it's mine or anybody else's, um, if you had to use like real force, you know, intermediate um, to where you, you legitimately get into like a fist fight with a suspect or something, something serious, uh, more than just like a tackle, you know, and a takedown with a force handcuff. Anything to where maybe your emotions are a little high, I always substitute the officer that's that's now in, uh, has that suspect in custody. Like whoever used force, you're no longer talking to the suspect unless you have to, right? Um, we'll have a third, we'll have another officer do it only because it, it helps bring the emotions down on that scene for everybody. Um, because if you, if you use force, you know, you're, you're going to be elevated and you're going to go talk to this guy and he's going to be mad that you used force against him. And that officer might be mad at him that he made him use force or whatever. It's just better practice. If you have another officer, use that other officer, 
Same thing with transport in a jail. Um, nine times out of ten, that your suspect is not going to treat uh, a random officer as badly as he will somebody that just used force against them. That guy is going to give you a hard time the entire time you're down there, you know. And if you're if you can't control your emotions, and yeah, you're. you're you're going to have a rough time as well. You're going to be going back and forth with them and insulting them or whatever, whatever guys do. And it's just better to have somebody else take them. So I think the issue with Graham V. Connor, well, the complainant's issue or person who was detained and force was used against him, uh, was that in his mind and really everybody else's mind, because that's why he got to the Supreme Court, not everybody else's, but the the, the determining factor in what, what took place with the overall issue was that he didn't actually do anything. He didn't actually do anything wrong. Therefore, in the minds of whoever, the force that was used against him wasn't reasonable. That's kind of what they were, that's kind of what they were going after. Yes. Um, but that's why the courts ruled uh, it can't be in hindsight, right? At the time, that officer reasonably believed that a robbery had occurred. Now, say, let's say he did rob a store, right? And he wasn't a diabetic. Um, and then he did start resisting. Okay, now is that force reasonable? Uh, yes or no. Um, and that's that's what the courts, that's the standard now, right? Um, and I think that's the right decision, right? Because you don't, you don't know. And you can't stop everything. There's no pause button to go, you know, go rewatch. Hey, did this place get robbed? Okay, yes. All right. Okay, cool. You guys can use force. So, you know, when you are, you know, a part of these situations as police officers, what you are operating on are the facts and circumstances that are known to you at the time. And I also think that your ability as an officer and the tools that you have available to you can help you in, you know, operating under essentially different circumstances. Um, so, you know, we have radios and, you know, sometimes calls go out over the radio, but whatever's going out over the radio to you is also in the call slip. But, you know, you get a 911 call, you have a call slip, you have information, which usually isn't good. I mean, not, not that it's not good. It's just not uh, detailed usually. Um, and sometimes it's incorrect, right? So here's an example, made this up. But you, um, you know, get dispatched to a robbery that just occurred and they said the guy's wearing a red hoodie and he was last seen walking south on this street. And you're like, hey, I'm right here. Send it to me. And you get to that street and you see a guy in a red hoodie walking south in the street. All right. And so what would a reasonable officer do in that situation? Yeah, he, would in, he would investigate because he matches the description. Right. So you turn around and you make contact with the guy. And he is um, less than compliant, right? Um, so he's not 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 running, not um, showing you information that leads you to believe this is absolutely the guy, like right. So he's just like, man, I didn't do nothing. What's up? What's going on? And you get out there just to, in furtherance of the investigation to talk to him. Well, let's say this: I said robbery. So let's just say you do the right thing and you probably point your gun at this guy and say, mm -hmm. "Hey, get on the ground," or at least use your vehicle as somewhat cover and give him commands with your gun out. Let's just all right. So and let's say initially he's got, you know, he's doing something kind of looking around or has his hands in his pockets. So like, you're like, okay, I'm going to point my gun at this guy now. Cause now I really think this is the guy. Right. right? So you point your gun at him and you, other officers show up and you approach and you get him into custody and you find out that it's not the guy, right? You take him back there and they do a show up or whatever. And they're like, no, that's not him. This dude was, this dude was little. 
right? Mm-hmm. Um, it turns out that you got the wrong dude, right? And I think on the outside looking in, um, to the average person, you know, and even certainly the person who probably had the force used against him because that is force, thinks like, that's not right. That wasn't me. I didn't do that. Right. It's like, we get it. And now we know that. Right. But the reason that this happened is because the time and place and the circumstances that we had led us to believe it was you. You weren't listening. I mean, there's been times where I've, I've picked up the suspects that match descriptions, uh, very close to the descriptions. Um, I bring them back. We do a show up and it's not them. Uh, there's been times where I've had to use force on people like that. And I've actually arrested people. I, uh, there is uh, one deal where I, I arrived on a in-progress crime. And, I, you know, I show up and there's people screaming and yelling. And, of course, there's no, there's no call yet. So it's just, to me, it's just a bunch of people screaming and yelling and pointing at cars driving out. And as that's happening, call drops for this and, you know, gives a description of the car I just watched drive out. Um, so we pull, you know, pull him over and, uh, the guy was not complying at all, uh, digging through the car, like legitimately thought this guy was going to pull a gun out. We were like, Oh wow, this, this is it. Um, we end up using, having to use force to detain this guy. It's a whole problem. And then as we're doing this, uh, we're getting more calls from witnesses saying, Hey, uh, wrong car. Right. And it just so happened two of the exact same cars left the parking lot at the same time. What are the odds of that? Um, well, now that dude's long gone. Uh, and we had more officers on scene that, that investigated the original cause for the disturbance. But now we just had to use force against a guy who just wouldn't comply when we're trying to, to investigate a crime where you meet the description, you meet the vehicle description, everything. You're leaving the scene of the crime almost instantly. Well, he gave us a hard time the whole time and, uh, you know, forced us to use force against him to detain him. And, well, it, I kind of went to jail, you know? Yeah. And I know, and this is really important. And so the, the, the scenario that I made up, um, is very, like very obvious that, okay, yeah, I mean, this could very well be the guy, right? So something that isn't more, maybe something that isn't more obvious, but you feel the need to still investigate it you can kind of handle it in a similar way, but be more, you know, understanding that like, ah, I mean, this is really kind of a major guess here. Right. Mm-hmm. So, and, and in a situation I know not, not, not like intimately with all the details, but, um, there was like a robbery that happened and it was very busy intersection and very busy streets. Right. And you know, when the robbery usually comes in, it's happened already and the guy's gone, right? right? Unless it's a panic alarm where they're still in there, which happens. Mm-hmm. But in most cases, if somebody's calling on the phone, um, the dude's probably gone, right? right? right. Um, and so the vehicle description was given out, no plate, just description. You know, I mean, and then you're in a busy place, so chances of you seeing a similar car are pretty high. Right. Um, and officers arriving in the area found a similar car, and they did a felony stop and... I think the guy, well, I don't want to get too specific, but the way I kind of remember the story is that they didn't handle it in the most tactful manner, mm-hmm. right? Um, they handled it kind of like, dude, I think this is really the guy. When in my mind, I'm thinking like, that's real guess, right? They're still, You're still doing it right. Like mm-hmm. you're still like, hey, might as well, same car. Let's see if they run. Well, that's the guy, right? right? right. Um, but you know, so they, they were kind of in the way I kind of imagine it. Remember 
in my mind, just like unprofessional about it. And the guy, first of all, getting out of the vehicle, pretty obvious, probably not the dude. <laughs> Let's just yeah. say that. Right. And they kind of just went the whole nine yards, you know, I think they were cussing and yelling and guns pointing. It's like, you got to understand the difference between the two. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you brought up a point, I think about, um, calling people out or felony stops or whatever. So I want to cover this is you can, so what I, I do in situations like that, um, you know, you, okay. Say felony stop if you want. Right. But what I do in situations where I'm not quite sure, just kind of want to see what's going on is I, I let dispatch know or everybody know that I'm going to call them out. So I'll just say, Hey, I'm going to stop this vehicle real, real quick and see if they pull over. Okay. Hey, hey they pulled over. I'm going to, I'm going to have them I'm wait for backup, whatever. I'm going to wait for backup and we're just going to call them out. That's basically saying like, I don't really know, but I'm not going to take the chance of walking up there and I'm just going to, and I'm, I'm actually kind of saying like, I don't have plans on pointing my gun at this person, uh, but I am prepared to, if I need to. Right. Right. Um, and I think when people, well, definitely when people say felony stop, it usually indicates you're pointing your gun. Right. Um, so I like to differentiate between the two and just say, yeah, I'm just going to call them out. Yeah. No, that's, that's, uh, Supreme court. I mean, that's, uh, Pennsylvania versus Mims, just anyone for any reason. I think the only state that requires you to have a, a reason is New Jersey. And uh, that reason's like pretty low, like, you know, more like a hunch. But um, yeah, anywhere, any state, you can pull somebody out of the car. Um, it's still good practice to have a reason to do it, right? If you're pulling someone over, blowing a stop sign, right? Like, and you're just like, hey, man, get out of the car. It's like, well, you don't need a reason why, but it's you probably should, right? In case things escalate. But no, no, you can, you can pull someone out for anything. You can pull the passengers out as well um, for any reason you want. Yeah, I've done that. I do that a lot where I, I just say, and I don't, and so obviously in a felony stop situation and advocate for and whatever, do whatever your policy says you can do or whatever, but they always put as much, ve- uh, much of your own vehicle between yourself and the bad guy because if you, if the shooting starts while you're in the V, you're probably going to run to the back of your vehicle anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, um, always good practice to put as much of the vehicle between yourself and the potential threat. Um, but there's just situations that there is no call. It's just a traffic stop, mm-hmm. but you know, um, you know, maybe, okay, you turn around on this car and you already have your violation and now they see you turning around and then they, they quickly pull into a place and park, which happens all the time. All the time. Like, and, um, and so in that case, when, when that happens, I don't walk up to the car. Right. Okay. I just don't because his behavior is telling me that something about the situation is not right. He, that, that individual did not want to have an encounter with you. Right. So he made it to home base. He went out into private property is what they think. Maybe not even home base, just a base. Right. They just established this. This this is my base now. And so I had this happen. uh, (laughs) Same thing, you know, it's like the plate was trash. (laughs) It wasn't even legit, like a paper plate at all or whatever. Um, they were driving without their lights at night and as soon as I flipped around, but, and, and I hate these situations and for whatever reason they happen to me all the time. I don't know if everybody else is experiencing this, but if you know what you're looking for and you kind of see, you know, what you think is going to be, uh, an investigative stop that leads to something else, which is kind of the goal for us, you know, most, most proactive cops is like, we don't really care about the traffic, you know, (laughs) we just want to, yeah, investigative stop. So Man, those are super dangerous and they, they are, they suck really bad because in in that situation in and of itself was really dangerous for myself because man, especially when they do that 
and because the goal with the traffic stop and is like I guess different officers in different parts of the state probably have maybe different procedures but I'll just explain kind of different ways you can do it so we can put out on traffic over the radio which is not the not typical like you usually try to use your computer to do it and ideally on your computer there's like a box where you can run a plate so you what I do is like if I know I'm going to stop a car I type in the plate and I don't well may I already ran it or whatever right but I type in the plate and I leave it there right and then because from there, you can basically hit one button. It'll put you out on a traffic stop there. Um, so that's what I do. And when people do that, they dodge you real quick and they slide into a place. It leaves you, especially if you don't have a plate yet, there, you can't do that, right? So now right. you have to come out over the radio, which if you're not prepared for it, it's gonna you're going to get a little bit worked up right away anyways. But now by the time you even get to the, the area where they turned into – um, you know, there's really nothing to put out yet. Like, mm -hmm. right. So, so you turn in there and by the time I'm getting on the radio, I'm already behind them. It didn't go anywhere. So as soon as I saw him cut the corner and I pulled in there and saw him, I was like, it's right here right now. Right. So now I've got my door open and I'm using my radio outside of my vehicle. Right. <laughs> okay? So, and, and, and as I'm trying to put out the, the, the stop, a female, you know, exits the passenger side and she's coming back and talking to me like, oh, well, we didn't do nothing. And it's like, you know what's going on. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's a clear indication that they are trying to, one, avoid you from stopping them, and two, there's something else going on here of course. that they are trying to, you know, not manipulate, but basically, um, you know, direct your attention away from whatever's happening. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, I see that all the time when they pull in, and my, my rule of thumb is I want to have the information put out before the cars stop. Right. So if I'm going to stop a car, I try to make sure I, I've already run it. I've already looked at who this is, what this car is involved in. And then when I go to stop it, um, my computer work is done as soon as this car goes in the park. I want to be out of my car as soon as possible. Um, and some people may disagree with that, but um, there's one place that you're guaranteed to have a person in a vehicle and it's the driver's seat. So if this person decides you pull over uh, to jump out of his car immediately and start shooting, the first thing he's going to shoot at is, is your driver's seat, right? Exactly where he thinks you're going to be. So I try to get out of my car as fast as I can um, on every traffic stop. I'm consistent with all of them. Um, you know, and that's why having a partner is great, right? That guy's typing it in. And I'm watching the driver. I'm watching the passengers. Because like you said, I don't, you know, being a proactive officer, you're not, you're not running every single plate. You're not pulling over everybody for every minor infraction. You're you're looking for cars. You're like, okay, you know, you're looking for suspicious activity. Like, where did this car come from? Are all the windows tinted? Is the windshield tinted? That's a big one. Um, where did he just pull out of? Where is he pulling into? Right? Um, do you think he was going to pull into this particular spot if you weren't behind him? Um, what did he do when he pulled in? Sometimes I'll let somebody pull in and make them feel like they beat me. Right? Let them feel like they won. I'll drive down maybe a block or two and turn around and see if they're back on the street again. Um, there's been times where uh, we've done exactly that and we pull the car over on traffic and then there's, you know, you find magazines but no guns. I'm like, okay, hold on right here. Get someone else out here. You go back to where you saw them pull over the first time. Boom, you just found a whole stash of guns and dope. Um, that's not uncommon. And a lot of people overlook that kind of stuff. Uh, those, are, those are good stops. Um, and then you just turned everything into a felony. Because why did you dump all this stuff here, right? Like, now you're tampering. You knew an investigation was going to begin, right, by me getting behind you. You thought I was going to pull you over. So you stopped here, and you hid everything. And then you kept going. And now you're like, 
don't have anything. I'm clean. Well, not exactly. Right. Um, so picking cars like that and, and those sort of traffic stops, uh, and, and they can become dangerous, man. Like tinted windows. I do not walk past a tinted window. There's no way you cannot get me to walk past a tinted windows. But if I can't see in it, nope, I, I'll knock. Sometimes I'll get up close and knock on the back. And if they don't go down, I walk back and I'll call you out of the car. Um, but most of the time, especially at night, I won't even approach. I'll get on the loudspeaker and order you to turn all your windows down. And then you might turn a simple traffic violation into a felony stop if you don't want to, you know, if you don't want to comply. Um, and that's not, that's not uncommon, actually. I mean, it happens quite often. Yeah, I think in, in some of the, I try to, well, I think when I'm looking at body cameras, because, you know, I'm an officer and I've been doing it for a little bit, I, I consider the fact of, you know, putting myself in the officer's position from training and experience and taking that into consideration when I'm talking about something or critiquing something. Because if you watch some of my body cameras and some of the things that I've done, they flat out look wrong and they are wrong but there was nothing I could do about it. Right. Mm-hmm. Because if people aren't listening, they're not listening. Right. It doesn't matter how you know stern you get with them or tell them that they're going to go to jail. And in that case that I was talking about or whatever, and the vehicle stopped and the female came out and was delaying, trying to direct me somewhere else. And I knew this was all not good. And so I was telling her repeatedly, stand in the front of my vehicle, stand in the front of my vehicle. And she was not listening to me. It's like, well, what can I do? Right. Well, I can handcuff her real quick and put her in the back. I still got this other driver. Right. I, I don't know what's going on. So I'm just trying to get another unit there to me. And then he comes out of the car and now it's all real bad again. Right? right now I got two people that aren't listening that are standing near my vehicle. And so something I commonly say or often say is that sometimes the only thing you can do is be so aware of what's happening that you are ready to move out of the way in an instant or act. Right. right. And that's, that's a lot of the case that's anticipating things. Right. So I'm standing there I'm really kind of, focused on him because females usually aren't the main aggressors. Right. So I've seen her talking to her. She's not really compliant, but now he's back here now and he's not listening. And, you Mm -hmm. know, and so I'm just watching, I'm watching him and I'm just anticipating that he's going to pull a gun out of his, you know, waistline or that he's going to do something. And I'm thinking also too, if he runs, what am I going to do? Right. Mm -hmm. Well, if he runs, I'm probably not going to do anything because my car's still here and I don't, I don't, can't remember if I had the keys, you know, at that time. Right. So I'm not going to leave him, right? Um, so these are all things that you're thinking about in the t- in the, in those instances that you should be thinking about and anticipating, so that when they happen, maybe you're not surprised when they do, right? right. And so, you know, in that situation, even working at night, I always loved working at night, um, and still do for like the what I believe are tactical advantages of the lights of your vehicle oh, or yeah. your handheld lights. And so I'm trying to place them like in front of my car where they can be, you know, you know, they're doing this or whatever. It's like, that's good. That's what I want. Right. (laughs) But at the moment where this guy is so close to me, I'm just like, dude, if he does anything from right here, the only thing I could do is close distance and try to, you know, push him off of his feet or do whatever to try to create distance. And so no doubt there are situations as cops and even in body cameras, when you see him, it's like just unavoidable. And I try to not, um, or if I do talk about those instances, I try to make it known like this is a jacked up situation and sometimes you have to be where you are right now. Right. You know, know, one of the conversations I've had with my partner uh, kind of recently, um, we've both been doing the, we're we're strictly a proactive unit and we've been doing it for almost two years now. Um, And the more we've done it, the better we've become at it. Um, You know, we've approached things a lot more, uh, you know, tactically and, and safer and, um, and I think, 
I think that has a lot to do with why we haven't ended up uh, in, in another shooting or um, something crazy. It seems the longer we do it, the less crazy out of control situations happen. Um, being able to control chaos, um, you know, we're not the greatest at it, but I, we've gotten significantly better. Uh, being able to, you know, take a scene, because uh, most of the scenes that we're on are, uh, they're all patrol investigations. They're all things that we've on viewed. We've showed up and we've been talking to people or whatever. No one's calling the police for what we do. We're there to find the guys catching, catching the bad guys that you know, no one's calling on, right? Um, so the element of surprise is always there. Uh, so things unfold significantly fast, right? It's crazy. And I think being able to control that chaos and, and, and uh, how it unravels really has prevented us from, from being in some sort of uh, you know, dangerous situations. Yeah, I think if I was going to pick people to be um, part of an, a proactive lo- you know, unit or whatever, I mean, I'm, I'm really keen on character, mm-hmm. you know, because character is a hard thing to change. Like right. You can't, I mean, maybe, I mean, you can teach it. I think you can teach men with good character to have better character. Yeah. Like to kind of dial it in. It's really hard if you know of people or whatever that they're just not good people. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to make them good people, yeah. you know, to, yeah. to change their character. I've always said that, you know, interviewing people. And I've had this discussion amongst members of the team I was on previously where if, you know, we just had the discussion cause in some of the teams, it seems like maybe some of the officers, um, whether they actually have a say, um, in who comes to the team or not, they like to feel like they do in certain situations, which is cool. Um, and so I've had those conversations with some people and I've said, I don't need the person who understands tactics the best. Mm-hmm. I don't need or need or want or or looking for a person who knows, you know, everything that you know the best. Um, Because, you know, in my experience training people and especially in the Marines is the only thing that matters is really kind of just two things. Having a good character, right? Being a good person and then having a willingness to want to, to learn and figure it out. Right. And if you have a willingness to do those things, then you're going to be good. Like you're going to get better. There's just no way around it because, um, time put in equates to levels of skill. It's just a matter of fact. Um, and so I've taken Marines that, you know, people gave a hard time or didn't like or whatever, and they were weak. Right. And they couldn't do shoot. They couldn't shoot well. They couldn't do all those other things. Well, they couldn't even do them better than the people with bad character. But because they had a good attitude and they were a good person and they were really into it and wanted to learn, they went farther. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And developed skill beyond the person that was, you know, didn't have, you know, a good work ethic or a bad character. And I'm just being in general, like being around people with bad characters is not a good time. Yeah. Nobody wants to do that. Um, I think every, every rookie we get on our shift, um, you know, I'll go on a roll call and I usually hand out my phone number to just about everybody. I'm like, look, you guys need anything? You know, you call us. We're always out there. Um, and there's only certain ones. If, if we get four new rookies, maybe one calls me. Maybe one checks by and asks questions and stuff like that. And and those are the people you focus your attention on, right? The other three, okay, the, well, they know the resources are here and they don't want to learn, get any better. Okay, whatever. Some people are just here for a paycheck. But you, you get those, you know, one or two guys that actually care to learn, right? And uh, that makes it more fun too when you you go out there on a scene with them and 
and you're teaching somebody something in real time, you're like, hey, you see that guy doing X, Y, and Z? What does that tell you, right? And you let them kind of tell you and develop, you know, a scene, let them do it. Like, all right, I'll go get them. And, all right, and then, you know, who knows what they get, but um, it makes it more fun. And it helps them get hands-on training and really understand what you can and can't do as a police officer. Yeah, and I think, like, I'm going to go get to some questions here in a second. That'll kind of lead into that. And again, I'll, well, this will lead into the answer to the question, so I don't want to say it right now, but I'll read the question and then you can uh, tell me what you think. But, you know, objective reasonableness, you know, would a reasonable officer, given the same facts and circumstances, have done what that officer did is essentially what it is. Um, but you can't be as an officer in the moment using or need to use force or should use force and you don't know, right? You don't know, like, can I do it? Should I do it? And real quick, before I get into that, um, quick story about objective reasonableness that actually follows in line with uh, Graham v. Connor. Similar situation happened to me. Um, I saw a vehicle that didn't have a license plate uh, on patrol, was actually doing something else. But I noticed that he probably saw me because when he did, he did the whole, let me get off the street and kind of go away for a minute. When I was kind of coming back the other direction, I saw the vehicle again. Um, This time, he went from one location to the other, which was another indication. It's like, well, you were going this way and now you're just like, your behavior is all kind of changing here. And being in an area where there's a lot of stolen vehicles, I'm, I'm thinking in my mind, car's probably stolen and he's dodging me. He's trying to make sure I'm not around before he gets back on the road and does whatever he's going to do. So I see him going to this location. I also pull in and, um, I'm now looking for the vehicle and you don't know. I mean, he could have actually been going to a friend's house or something or you find it parked. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so I end up going in there and I see him pretty, pretty quickly still in the vehicle traveling and I have to do a U-turn. He sees me again and does the whole, let me park here and pretend something else is happening. Um, so he does that. And, you know, in my mind, again, thinking stolen vehicle, he's trying to dodge me. Now he's trying to do, uh, change his behavior to make me think that something else is going on. Right. It's all the things that I'm thinking. And so I'm able to put out over the radio, you know, uh, traffic's not basically and having another unit start coming my direction. Yep. Um, and I said, Hey, can you know, come over here and talk to me? And immediately he was not compliant kind of verbally, man, I didn't do nothing. What, what's going on? Why are you stopping me? All this stuff. So I explained to him and he's going off again. And so then obviously I could see like, he's aggressive. Like, I don't know why. Um, again, behavior that's telling me he's trying to divert my attention. Right. Uh, so I ask him for his ID for which he does not have one. And I, I go, okay, well, now you're just going to get handcuffed. I'm going to detain you or, or I'm going to arrest you, right? I'm going to arrest you based on these violations. Um, so I go to, you know, hey, turn, you know, ask, request, you know, hey, turn around, put your hands behind your back. And he doesn't want to do that. So I go to grab him and then he becomes more aggressive, starts pulling away. And I'm holding on to him, just making sure he doesn't run off. So I make sure I have units coming. Um, and then he grabs me, right? Which is a no-no. Like right. one of those things you don't do. So immediately I recognize that I need to like, you know, quickly gain control of the situation and I conduct a, you know, a takedown and I'm able to put him on the ground and handcuff him. Right. And as it turns out, you know, the vehicle, uh, status was like, it was just like not registered in a really long time. And maybe it was stolen at some point or something, but there was nothing to indicate, Oh, it is a stolen car. Right. The key, the keys were there or whatever. And, you know, so truly there was no actual like underlying major crime happening um and had he stopped on a traffic stop then at most he would have got some tickets right right? but probably not right right because like we talked about earlier 
uh, pretext stops, you know, looking for other violations other than traffic, right? Looking for something more than traffic and using traffic codes and whatnot to, uh, to put yourself in that situation to further investigate. Um, and a lot of people don't understand that. Uh, the Supreme Court's already ruled. That's, that's fine. Um, uh, but, well, you know, like you said, that they, they immediately deny any sort of uh, responsibility. Like, ah, I didn't do anything. It's like, well, not necessarily. I mean, have you looked at your plate? You don't even have one. Or it's all tore up. Or, you know, oftentimes I see them when they put them in their back window and the window's dark. Well, okay, well, how am I supposed to see that, right? Um, whereas if they just complied from the get-go, even if sometimes even if they do have something in the car, you know, they're a felon and they got a gun in there or, or they got dope in there. Maybe it's like cocaine. You can't smell it. You know, they don't understand, like, if you just comply and you're a, a nice person, like, and don't give me a reason to go search in your car or whatever, like, you're probably going to get away. But if you're going to act a fool as soon as you get out of the car, probably going to go to jail, especially if you're putting your hands on us. Like, that's yeah. a big no-no. Yeah. Um, that was a younger generation person. I think the issue there was just, like, he just didn't think we could do anything. I don't yeah. know. Uh, kind of odd, and and trust me, I would have preferred not to have to do all that. Right. <laughs> like, right. in at the in the grand scheme of things, like that charge is nothing. Right. right. And 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 honestly, like the only reason I'm really charging you at this point is because I don't have a choice. Right. You know, you like, forced us to do. Yeah, I you can't. Know, what we did. I can't do all this and now just let you walk away. Yeah. You no, know, it's a no no. Um, and plus two, like I think the value in that those circumstances is hopefully, especially in the younger generation is just like a little bit of a lesson. Mm -hmm. And that's why I tried to explain to him afterwards. And, um, he proceeded, you know, even well after, well, actually, you know, I'm, I'm very respectful. Like, I, like you talked about before, and I meant to mention this, like, you know, controlling your emotions leading up to the incident, but then afterwards too, it's like, and they tell us this and they teach us the handcuffs are on, it's done. Right. You know, right. and now there are situations um, that have existed where a suspect was able to do something with handcuffs on mm -hmm. and officers had to use some force. Right. Right. Um, so that does happen. But, um, you know, and so for me, again, controlling my emotions um, and not trying to make this out to be something it isn't. And they're in handcuffs. I, for me, I'm usually like, I don't say res I don't say respectful. Right. But accommodate like I try to accommodate them a little bit right. right so and this is a good point for anybody this has worked well for me in cases where you allow because you know there are some officers that I'm sure are like nope you're not calling anybody nope you're not doing this right. no 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 it's like well it's a give and take yeah and also like they might provide you with something that you didn't have because you allowed them to do that well if you allow somebody to make a phone call in your back seat um I'm not always opposed to it um because anything they say on that phone is admissible, right? Um, even if even if they don't want to provide you a statement, you Mirandize them. And they're like, I don't want to speak to you, the police officer. But they want to talk to their mom. And you give them the phone or you even hold the phone. Uh, and you let them have a conversation. Everything they say is admissible. Um, you can use all that, all that evidence. Um, so, yeah, why not? I mean, I wouldn't allow them to request people to come to your scene usually it's the last thing right before we leave it's like okay i'll let you make a you know a minute two phone call um and then we're leaving we're going to jail yeah i mean and usually again kind of depending on the facts and circumstances like you're setting kind of rules for them like right, we're not texting we're not facetiming right. actually even better if you can dial the number for them and right. hold it so they can't actually have access to their phone and like you're talking about i have that i've had that happen uh you know way in the past with some narcotics related charges and uh, 
you know, hey, you want to call somebody? Let them know what's going on. Yeah, okay. Calls him, like, you know, what's going on? I'm going to jail. Like, for what? And he's like, basically says, I had cocaine in my right. vent or something like that. Or, or then he goes, he catches himself at the end. He goes, I, I, they're saying I did. They're saying I did. Right, right, right. <laughs> it's like, ooh, that's not good for you. Smooth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, again, just to like reiterate, the handcuffs are on, control your emotions leading up to, and, you know, there's no, you know, at that point, like, there's not, a, you're not getting a whole lot out of like, I don't want to say being angry or whatever, but, um, and it doesn't get you anywhere. Right. And, act, and actually it could do the opposite where like right. this guy, you did everything right. Right. But this guy, um, you know, he's already mad at you mm-hmm. and now you're like, no, I'm not getting you water. Nope. I'm not, you're not getting your phone. No, I'm taking this from you. Right. Then you oh. got to tow his car and you do all this other stuff. Yeah. You might actually be placing yourselves in a complaint, mm-hmm. even though you're right. Right. But just because you're not being a decent human being. Right. Right. And then oftentimes I don't tow many cars. Um, even, at, you know, even at using force and everything, like once, once we settle down a little bit, right. It's like, all right, Hey man, you know, I'll read the Miranda rights, you know, let them, let them sit there. Let them think about what's happening. I'll come back and I'll be like, is there anybody going to pick up your car? Right. And Usually they're calmed down. They look, dude, I don't want to tow your car. I don't want to do this. Just is there anyone that can pick it up? And they'll tell you yes, and then then they'll make that phone call. They'll talk to whoever, and then maybe have a conversation with them. They'll be more at ease. Um, another tactic that I use, and sometimes I use this before I put handcuffs on them. If I start talking to them, I immediately try to put them at ease and say, okay, this isn't a big deal. You're not under arrest right now. You're not going to go to jail. We're just trying to figure out what's going on here, or we're trying to do this. Right, even the hand motions are like, like let's come down. Let's just have a conversation. Um, like, just come over here. We'll talk about it over here. It's not a big deal. And you know, the panic will go down in their eyes uh, because if you're sitting there ordering them, do this, 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 and that, just as elevated as you are, they're gonna get to the same spot. But they're gonna be thinking their fight or flight's gonna go off, and they're gonna take off, or they're gonna fight, or they don't quite understand, um, and then explain everything to them. Uh, well, maybe not everything, everything, but like make them understand what's happening. And if they don't understand, be like, oh, okay, I'll repeat it. And then, you know, okay, you understand now? Okay, cool. Right. And then sometimes I'll, I'll use, uh, not to get into specifics, but I'll try to be like, oh, doesn't it look a certain way? Like, look at it through my eyes, right? Like, I saw you do this and I saw you look at me and then I saw you turn around real quick and I saw you take off and I saw you do this. I was like, what do you, what do you think? And then they'll be like, yeah, man, I understand. Right. So, okay. So cool. Now we're all on the same page. Um, and it, that really does help. It, it really does help with your investigations. And so maybe that leads into this first question. So I'll ask it. It's not really a question, but we have to kind of make it one. Basically it says de-escalation tools, tactics for law enforcement. And actually I know this individual and he's from Portugal. Okay. And, um, I have a couple followers that are in the subscriber portion of the Instagram, um, that one's from Canada and one's from Portugal. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting. Like is, learning yeah. from these guys and what they can and can't do. And, uh, just real quick, actually, I think it's in Portugal. They can't point their weapon or maybe it's Canada. I can't remember one of them. They can't point their weapon at somebody unless there is like a clearly identifiable threat right right. so like they have to have a knife in their hand or they have to have a gun not like you know uh, and and and, and put you behind the curve oh yeah for sure and i think um what he explained was that like they could could get in trouble 
if they point their gun at somebody that isn't doesn't meet that criteria. That's crazy. I, I couldn't imagine policing, especially in a place where we police, to where you're like you you can't be ahead of things like that. Man, that, that puts you in a really disadvantage. Yeah. So I think de-escalation in and of itself is actually something that I need to. I, it goes deeper than what people think, and when people think about de-escalation. They think that, or think or know, or whatever, the idea in de-escalation is that you as an individual officer or officers are going to be um, inside of a situation and be able to change the outcome of the situation from a force perspective based on how you communicate or tools or whatever the case is. And I remember seeing something, like I said, I had to go back and, and kind of research it, um, but I think that's the idea in which de-escalation is built on, but I don't know necessarily that there's any verifiable data or or tactics or techniques that that truly prove or show that this actually takes a situation that was going to go into a, you know, different uh, place of violence or whatever and actually uh, made that not happen because of what you did. Um de-escalation tools like I don't know what tools would be I mean I I don't consider like any type of um less lethal option like a de-escalation tool like no um no I don't I don't know either maybe just you know verbal persuasion that's about it yeah I think and and here's here's kind of what I believe well you know be a polite be a professional but be prepared right? right so I think that you can as an individual officer um the way you approach a situation um, dictate the outcome ultimately, uh, you know, because I think that there are probably cops out there that don't necessarily treat people with respect and kind of treat people like they're lesser people or whatever. And that pisses people off. Oh yeah. You know? Yeah. And I think that, um, but I think for officers that are acting professionally and treating people with respect and are showing up to these already chaotic situations or situations that are going to be chaotic, there's not really necessarily anything that that person is going to do or can do that I, I, I believe are going to stop that from happening. Right. Other than, you know, because they're already approaching it correctly. Right. Um, how does maybe somebody reviewing, I guess that'd be a better question. Like, how is somebody that reviews body cameras, you know, <laughs> trying to determine whether, I don't even know what that conversation is determine whether other tactics could have been used to stop something from happening because now we're talking really just about objective reasonableness. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. It's, it's pretty similar. Um, man, every situation is going to be different. Every situation calls for different tools. You know, some, some situations call for a taser. Some are like a 40 millimeter. Some just, you don't need any force. Right. Some, you know, just talking to somebody, I mean, that's, that's case by case. I, I'm not quite sure how to answer that one. Yeah. So tactics for LE. Um, but I think that falls into the category of what we were just talking about. I mean, if you kind of do the things that we talked about, you should be okay. And if it's already going to be a situation that the person has made up their mind on what they're going to do, I mean, there's not a whole lot you can do except meet or exceed the level of force that's being used against right. you. And a lot of that, a lot of those situations are, are a call for service based obviously you know you're getting called somewhere where something's already happened um and you get there and somebody's already acting a certain way um mostly what i do is i'm not responding to calls i'm finding i'm finding crime in progress right um so for for me and, and people like me uh how i present myself when i arrive somewhere 
is going to be how they re they're reacting to me. I'm not reacting to them uh, because I'm trying to sneak up on them. Or you know, uh, a lot of times you, you'll have uh, you know dope dealers at, at uh, corner stores. That's kind of where they, they sell out of or whatever. Well, no one's calling me there, and they're they're not expecting me to show up. Whereas if you have some sort of domestic violence, somebody just beat their wife, that guy knows the police are coming, right? He's prepared for you. So when you get there, you have to react to him. But the difference is when I arrive somewhere, they're reacting to me. And if I get out of the car at 100 miles an hour and just start running up, they're going to take off. They're going to fight. They're going to do whatever. But if I casually pull up, get out of the car, just talk to somebody. Hey, man, you know, how you doing? What's going on? What are you doing here? Okay, cool. Hey, what's in your bag? You know, this, this or that. You know, bring everything down. And, you know, there's always a chance they might just take off anyway. They might, you know, whatever. But you have a better, you have a better chance of, of de-escalating before it even gets to that point. And also in those situations, probably placing yourself at a tactical advantage. Whereas right. you came in there screeching like, you know, someone's dealing dope. It's like, well, now you're still in your car and he's running. Right. Now what are you doing? Right. Like, you know, so that makes it more difficult. So another question that was asked is, I guess, is work work versus gear. So I guess the question is maybe training over gear, like what's more important maybe, but I mean, the obvious answer is training because there isn't a piece of gear that's going to make you competent and right. knowing how to do it. Um, and a good example of this is a video that I'm going to do on the alien gear holster at some point. And kind of my takeaway from that holster is, is in general, it's not a better holster. Um, unless it kind of meets a certain criteria. But my point is, is that if you don't train with the Safari land level three holster and you think that you're going to buy the alien gear level three holster and just be better at drawing your gun, it's just not true. Right. Okay. Because in both of those instances, there's a process for how you get to your gun. And if you don't know it intimately, you're going to get caught up. Mm -hmm. So work over definitely work and training over gear, but there becomes a time when you start to see little tiny advantages and little things that you think will make you a little bit better or just a little bit faster. Um, so, you know, one example would just be like, um, I think out of the Academy, they give you holster, um, magazine holsters that have like the leather, is it leather probably now or who knows, but I think it has the strap underneath the, over top of the mm -hmm. magazine. Now you could train with that and be faster than somebody who has all, you know, the holsters like I do that are not covered or strapped in. Right. Um, because at the end of the day, you know, um, your level of skill is going to be determined by how much work you put in. Mm -hmm. um, but if you're really kind of pushing yourself to that level, you're going to see that little bit of an advantage of like not having to unstrap it first. Right, right. So work is always going to be better uh, to focus on. But as you progress, you want to kind of just find these little things. And I've got boxes of stuff in all kinds of places where oh, yeah, I've, noticed, I, yeah. I've bought stuff and it's in a box somewhere right. cause it just didn't do it for me. Um, let's see another question. Uh, Oh, this is a good one. So what would be your advice to somebody that is a new officer? That's a, that's like okay. a whole podcast, right? Yeah. That, yeah. It's a whole episode. A whole, yeah. But let's say if you had to pick one thing, <laughs> man, a couple one... things, like what would your advice be? Man, that is such a loaded question. I, I mean, I'm kind of biased because you know I'm a proactive officer, but I think you truly learn the ins and out of this job, being proactive, even at a young, you know, at a young, and I wouldn't say young age, but you know, early on in your career, 
because you learn what you can and cannot do. Like I said earlier, you're not reacting to other people. They're all your actions. Okay, what what can I do, right? Like what what does the law and policy say I can do at, for this situation? You know what I mean? And it really helps you because there's no there is no box telling you the guy wearing the red shirt's the bad guy, the guy wearing the white shirt's the good guy, and the bad guy hit the good guy. Um, you know, oftentimes people just listen to their computer. Hey, I got dispatched to a family violence and husband beat up wife. I get there, husband's there, wife's beat up. That's pretty easy. I mean, a high school guy could figure that out, you know. Um, but when I tell you that, hey, um, maybe this specific apartment complex is a problem. There's a lot of shootings in here or there's whatever. Go figure out how to solve that problem. You don't have to be an expert police officer. You just got to know your, you know, your local laws or, you know, uh, your city ordinances and stuff, figuring out little things to develop bigger things. And you're only going to do that being proactive. Right. So I'll add to that because mine is the same, uh, but put it in a little bit more easily understood context for you. Um, and if you're a cop, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But when you get out of the academy and you go do your training and you get done with your training and you're by yourself, you have really two choices. You can just take what you have learned and what you think you know, mm -hmm. and that could be the end of it, basically. Whereas to the point where you're like, man, I hope I don't get that call. Right. Oh, man, I found I found drugs in this car, an accident. Right. Now what do I do? Now what do you do? Yeah. Right. So the best thing that you can do for yourself is purposely put yourself in these situations to figure out what it is you should be doing. Mm -hmm. Because... You don't want to be at work and have that like almost anxiety, like that feeling of like, man, I don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. We were all there. There was a point when me and you didn't know what we were doing and we decided, I don't like that. Yeah. I'd rather figure out what yeah. we're doing. And so if there's a call that you've never done before, go take the call. If there's, if you, if you don't know how to tag narcotics and do that process, go do it because when it, and, and, and get to a point where you're comfortable doing all these things, right? And you don't have that feeling of like, man, I hope I, did, I hope that I don't get that. Because yeah. when you do, because it's going to happen, mm -hmm. right? You're going to get dispatched to a DWI and you're going to have to handle it. Right. And it's going to be 10 times harder for you mm -hmm. versus I've already done three of these. I'm good. I'm going to go do this. And, you know, oftentimes you'll see, you'll see some of your officers that, you know, get that feeling and they, they start cutting corners. And then they get caught up. And those are the same guys that complain about their department or they're like, hey, I got screwed. We're like, well, did you really? Or did you cut a corner, right? Were you being lazy? Um, I, th I think what you said is great advice. Go learn how to do that stuff. And that's, that's exactly why I give my phone number to, to new rookies. I'm like, hey, if you have questions, man, like I got a lot of answers. Like call me. And if I can't give you the answer, I can tell you exactly where to find it. You know, and some people, that's what they need, you know. Yeah, you just needed to develop, as a new officer, develop a level of comfortability doing the job, okay? From just a personal perspective, you don't want to be, like, anxious and be like, oh, man, I don't know how to do that. But also, it's important because you're going to be thrown into these situations and you don't want to make mistakes because that's a whole other level of, like, man, I didn't know. Like we were talking about before, when I asked somebody, what is it, not in particular, like, what are officers doing that are getting them in trouble? And they just said, like, they just... They are doing things that they should not be doing um, that are, you know, either against policy or a violation of like, you know, right. researching or this or that. And it's getting them in trouble and they should know. Right. 
one of the things that I see wrong um, with most new officers is they'll take their call and they won't do anything more with it, right? They'll go sit in a hole somewhere. They'll go sit somewhere, type the report up, and then watch Netflix, sit on the phone, whatever. Whereas you're missing out on prime time to learn, right? Like there's so much going on out there. Um, go go figure it out, you know? Go check out different things. Go take that call that you've never taken before. Um, you know, go talk to people. Go go learn your beat. Do you think about how many people still need to use a GPS after being in their beats for, you know, months or some some people even years? Like, what are you doing? Like, go drive around. You know, um, that, well, that's one of the biggest things that I'm like, we said we could have this conversation for a whole podcast. Um, I've never sat my entire career. I've never sat in a, in a parking lot. If I don't have anything to do, I drive around. When you drive around, you notice when things are out of place. You'll you'll start to realize, and there'll be businesses that you've never been in, but you know what the, what employees drive like because you can drive by the same parking lot all the time. You see the same car in the same spot, or uh, you just notice things. Um, and you you'll notice the road conditions, and that'll help you out in a pursuit or when you're driving when you're driving hot somewhere. Hey, you know a bad curve's coming up. You know where the pothole is. You know certain things, and you'll never learn that sitting in a hole somewhere. Yeah, good advice. Do you have any uh, issues with sleeping problems? Oh man, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think, but you can't ask somebody who has the problem. Like, hey, how do you fix this problem? <laughs> you know, it's like, well, hang on, I have the problem. Yeah, <laughs> you tell uh, me. Yeah, I can't. Man, I can't fall asleep to at least three or four in the morning at least like this like last night I, I probably went to sleep about 4 a.m yeah but I, I think and i've talked about this i have a youtube video on you know i don't say anxiety but sleep problems or whatever mental health and for me and this will be a whole episode someday uh but i didn't ever have sleeping problems i could fall asleep anywhere at any time that's yeah. <laughs> like my problem is i'm too tired yeah you know um but when I was on night shift, that thing destroyed me. Like, mm-hmm. I love the shift. I like the people. I like the work. But I didn't even realize that it was destroying me. Yeah. Um, and um, so that's the first thing. It's like, and look, if you're listening to this and you're on night shift, you're like, man, I just love this place. I'm never going to day shift. You know, the people on day shift don't work as hard and they're not as fun. Dude, you're that's not worth it, dude. Like, and and here's the thing that you need to understand. This is my advice to cops is that like when you're a new cop and you're on the street, you think that whatever it is you're experiencing right now is going to last forever. Right. That's what I thought. I had a, I had a group of guys on the street that were, um, fun to be around and we were checking by and we were getting into stuff. And then like they started putting in for other places and leaving. I'm like, what? And so I'm like, Oh, why did I pass up that opportunity? I could have put in for this and taken that other opportunity. Um, so if you identify that early on, then you know, maybe you make different career choices, but look again, it's going to be a whole nother episode, but you prioritize your family and your mental health and your physical health over the job. Most definitely. And I'm, I'm definitely guilty of that, man. I'll go through waves of when I can't stop working 12, 14 hour shifts. You know, I'll work well into the night, not get home until, you know, four or five in the morning, sleep until one or two in the afternoon, have to wake up, go right back to work. And then, you know, I didn't get good sleep. I didn't work out like I'm eating garbage. And, you know, it happens like probably two or three times a year for me. I'll end up in a rut to where it's just, you know, you just having too much fun at work. Make, you know, you're making money or you're chasing bad guys. You know, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, all that 
so like we all know that uh policing is not good for your you know your your mental health certainly i mean you know suicides and things like that you know alcohol whatever people are into you know you're not sleeping when you should not only when you should but how long you should um and when you're younger you kind of don't care you know right. i mean how old are you i'm 28 so i mean whatever you're not you're kind of older but you know when you're newer to the job i should right. say um you lack probably the understanding that of the things that we talked about but here's the thing okay like if you are having a good time at your job and you're putting all these bad guys you're doing what, like do it have a good time not saying not to but what else are you sacrificing in the process mm -hmm. because if i am 33 years old now and i am divorced which i'm not and <laughs> Yeah. What like how is that worth it? Like nothing I did right. is worth that happening. Um, and you're also your physical and mental health. I mean, I've I weigh like 150 150 pounds probably right now. At one time on night shift, I weighed 123 pounds. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a big dude anyways, okay? <laughs> so, you know, it wasn't good. Like yeah. I was having fun and I was doing all the things, mm -hmm. but it was destroying me and I didn't even realize it. Right. Yeah, I'll like I said, I run into those problems often, um, and I'm at the point where I'm I'm looking to go to a day shift somewhere, right? Get on a more normal schedule. Uh, you'll see that like over time, you start missing out on things, and uh, I mean, there's nothing wrong with working evenings and nights for a little bit, um, but you got to know when to go, right? You got to know when to change it up, and uh, especially if you you know you get a family and kids and everything, it's there's no place to be, um, but. It, you know, at some point, like, you know, I'm 28, like, I'm missing out on some stuff, right? Because uh, all I do is spend my time at work, right? Yeah, and so, I mean, I've had a little bit of everything in terms of shifts. Um, but I was, I had to be on evening shift for whatever that was, two or three months, or three months, whatever it was. And the shift was fine, you know, like, right. working it was fine. Going in at two or three and getting off at 10, 11 and sometimes later was fine. It right. wasn't a big deal. Um, but I only saw my kids two days out of the week. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I, I, I'm not going to say like, I felt okay by that. I just was in it. Like it didn't matter. Right. Like it wasn't affecting me so to speak. But now I'm on day shift. I see my kids every day. Right. And I'm right. like, dude, this is so awesome. Yeah. It's gotta be way better. Yeah. So like my advice too, if you have kids, dude, Make this de make decisions in your career based on your family, and sometimes you have to sacrifice that, though, mm -hmm. right? Maybe you're gonna promote, and it's gonna take you, you know, months of studying to do that, and you right. kind of have to be away. And then you also know, well, if I promote, I'm gonna get some job I don't want. Maybe right. you're gonna end up on night shift yeah. for a while. But hey, I'm willing to do all that to get to here. Right. That's okay. Right. right. Um, and that's not what I'm talking about. I'm just it's talking more about permanent decisions. Yeah, I'm talking about willfully making decisions based on you, like. Mm -hmm. Man, I like these guys. I like this shift. I like this work. Yeah. This is about me. While your family is getting screwed. Yeah, you know, yeah. and you don't have to worry about that yet. No, I don't. I'm free. Good for you, man. Yeah. <laughs> you may or may not know this, but this has been stopped a couple times, probably, and issues with the video or maybe audio or whatever. Um, trash yeah, the trash guy came, and you know, like growing pains, man. Yeah, you know, yeah, I don't. Yeah. Know. I don't, I don't want to tell people I don't know what I'm doing. I try to make it look <laughs> like I do. 
Uh, but thanks for listening to this episode. Um, if you have any questions, you can reach me on Instagram, kinetic concepts underscore group. Make sure you're over on the YouTube subscribing to that kinetic concepts underscore group. If you want to be notified for upcoming training, head over to the website, kineticconceptsgroup.com, and subscribe to the site. If you're looking for training in Texas or elsewhere, send me an email, instructors at kineticconceptsgroup.com. We got crews coming.